Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL, here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller. Happy 2024 to all of you. It's a new year. It's going to be a great year. We are starting it off with a, a little live show out in San Francisco at the Commonwealth Club. There are no seats left. There are some standing room tickets, I believe, uh, but I don't know how many of those they have. You should come anyway, though. Like, it's not going to be five hours. We're not going to be playing Freebird over and over again. Uh, come, and even if you're standing room only, you like, you get to hang out with us, and we all, like, you know, chit-chat and stuff after the show. It'll be great. It could also be like so, a Taylor Swift situation where you guys just like wait outside the Commonwealth Club and shout at us and go, woo, woo, <laughs> and like throw panties at us and stuff, but then you don't actually get to come in. That, that would be cool, too. That would be fun for everybody. Maybe. We need, we're going to need bigger venues, guys. Stadium. 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 Right? I don't know. Stadiums. Stadiums. I think you go to arenas first, then stadiums. That's what Steve know. Van Zandt, when we talked to him about playing Wembley, he was like, you know, you build this one one audience member at a time. You start mm. in clubs and then you move to like theaters and then you go to arenas and then stadiums, I think. Mm. So, ah. uh, all right. So we are what, 12 days, Timothy, from 12. Iowa? 12 days from the Iowa caucuses, the all-important Iowa caucuses. And let me tell you, 12 days is a lifetime in politics. Anything can happen. Think about all the birds you get breaks. during the 12 days of Christmas. I mean, you know, Nikki Haley could have <laughs> hundreds of birds. could happen. And, I mean, this is when Rick Santorum did his big milking. surge. <laughs> uh, so, oh, Sarah, nice. I went back and I looked. I, I believe that Donald Trump is going to have the largest margin of victory in Iowa of any Republican in the history of the caucuses. By far. <laughs> I also looked at this yesterday before. And uh, you just did an Iowa focus group and you can't give us all of it because the good stuff is in the focus group show. But uh, I want to hear what you can give, give us. Give a little taste. Just give so, us a little okay. taster. So first of all, we've got an episode that's pre-taped for January 6th. Uh, it's coming out with Kinzinger uh, this Saturday. So our first episode of 2024. Hold on. I'm sorry. Pause. One. Does he discuss Trump's smell? <laughs> I think this was pre-smell. We need to do a, just a full bonus uh, episode with him on the smell. <laughs> I don't know why this just came so late. And, uh, you know, where was K Kinzinger was holding all this material in 2020 about Trump's stink? And but this is and this is Kinzinger has personally smelled him. Yes, Kinzinger said he personally smelled him, and he smells like ketchup and bo and butt, and he doesn't know why more people don't talk about it. <laughs> uh, we it didn't come up, didn't come up. But we have a great it's a great show though with Kinzinger, and we go back and we do uh, we have three years worth of January sixth focus groups. And so we go back in the archives, back to when I was moderating, and like go through them. So it's cool. But the next episode after that is going to be. Iowa voters right before the caucus. Well, we did this group yesterday, and I have to tell you about it because it was such a banger. We had a guy who said, look, I don't want to sound prejudiced, mm. uh, but I don't like Vivek Ramaswamy's name. I just don't like his name. You know what? Uh, Nothing that has ever followed the <laughs> phrase, I don't want to sound prejudiced, <laughs> but... Has ever not sounded not prejudiced. <laughs> and it was funny is that actually the way I just did it isn't quite right because uh, it was the moderator was talking about Vivek and he was like, I don't like his name. I don't like where he's from. I don't want to sound prejudiced. Cincinnati. I no, got it was great. Yeah, it was like, too. So, so people start going, oh, yeah, is he from? And it, there was like a 9-11 uh, like connection. Like he's like, I'm still mad because of 9-11. And so somebody's like, oh, yeah, from India. <laughs> moderator had to just like chip in to be like he's from ohio you know just ohio uh, but okay no one sounds prejudiced here but that's not even it okay so first of all we're gonna do an episode that i'm so excited about for the focus group because it's with ann seltzer the oh, ann seltzer yeah she said that's yes, amazing and i'm so excited there's nobody if you get a, a poll done about iowa She's the only right one. She's the rightest of the right pollsters. Uh, I'm really pumped to have her on. I'm interested to ask her. She's going to watch this focus group. You know, we're going to have qual and quant collide. But here's the thing. And, and just to go to the point you guys were just making about how big Trump's victory is going to be. Listening to this group last night, we were trying to ask about DeSantis, trying to ask about Nikki, and people were talking about them. But here, 12 days out, the idea that Trump is going to be the nominee is such a given, such a foregone conclusion among these voters. There's no like, I mean, there's a couple of people when you ask specifically about Nikki, it's like, oh, 
yeah, I should look more. We asked about the CNN debate because there's going to be a CNN Iowa debate just between Nikki and DeSantis. And there were some people who were like, oh, I didn't know that was happening. But yeah, I might watch it. Then they maybe they have some second choices, but they all think DeSantis should have waited. Like the, the part about DeSantis, there's just it's so brutal on him because they're like, you know, he seems kind of like he's given up. He just seems really depressed. Well, you'd be depressed too if you were 50 <laughs> points behind. Like they just, it, it, they don't even know how brutal they're being I'm, on DeSantis. I'm more concerned that Ron DeSantis might kill himself than I am considering supporting him <laughs> yeah. in the caucus. Yeah. So there's one Nikki curious woman, but still in kind of a, but I'll vote for Trump. You know, I just don't think he's, you know, I, I think we could use somebody younger. I'd like to see a woman president. And she's so great. I just, you have to watch the whole group. I want you guys to watch it because there's this moment where this normie woman is like, I'd just like to see there be a woman president and everyone else stares blankly at the screen. <laughs> like, it's not like a oh, bunch of other did people. Did she vote like, for oh. Hillary Clinton? <laughs> no. <laughs> and she she also goes, obviously it won't be this time because it's going to be Trump. Like they just all believe without any hesitation or equivocation that it's going to be Trump and not in a way where they had to assert it. It was just replete throughout their comments. Oh, there's one other. So we asked about the Nikki Haley slavery comments. Only mm. the Nikki Curious Normie had even heard about it. And when we asked her, so can you explain to the group what it was? She was like, well, she said something but I can't remember what it was. You know, it was like she had heard about it, basically. Nobody else had even heard about it. Um, so uh, that I think it, it, it it's going to yeah. matter maybe in New Hampshire. Because there wasn't uh, a lot of talking about the Haley gaffe on Newsmax where the primary <laughs> yeah, is over, right. which is what these people are consuming. JVL, I have oh, I have one thing really quick for Ann Seltzer. Yeah. It's just a per point of personal privilege if you can ask her about this, even if it's just in the bonus cut. I, there's this thing I want to die about the early states where every time you watch a news segment on like the Today Show or even on our, my beloved MSNBC, you know, where it's like the news person who's like on the ground in Iowa and they're like, the people here in Iowa really want to meet the candidates and shake their hand and, they, you know, they, they want to run them through the traps and, you know, and then they interview two people and there's one person and she's like, you know how we take this seriously and uh, like, and that is bullshit it's been proven so wrong and i just i want to have to hear ann seltzer say it because donald trump does not go meet these Doesn't people do retail politics. he's not nope. going into their living rooms they don't he's not even doing the debate they do and and he the governor hates him all of this like old pre-2012 you know wisdom about iowa how you got to respect chuck grassley and do the 99 count it's all bullshit they don't care. These people don't actually care. Maybe two people care about it or 20 or something. But but Donald Trump, it might win overwhelmingly without doing any of that. Are you going to object to that really quick, sir? Oh, I'm not going to object. Oh, no, you look like you no, I, no, no, no. I was just – when you said Grassley, there was this hysterical conversation where you know, we're talking about Biden and they're all like, he has late-stage dementia. It's elder abuse. Yeah. You can't be this age or whatever. And the moderator sort of gently mentions Chuck Grassley being 90 and people were kind of like, well, yeah, this should probably be Chuck's last go around. But like, this is, it's not about age. Age is just a number. It's about how you, it's about your abilities. Yeah. And and there was an extensive conversation where they had all parsed out. It is not about his age, right? Then it doesn't matter that Trump's old. That's that the Trump line. Lots of people had the, yeah. like, had this sort of ready at their fingertips about, well, my dad is 75 and he still does lots of travel and he runs his business and it's about your mental acuity. Uh, and so they have, that is not the talking point that Dems are using about how, well, Trump's only four years younger. Teflon, nothing not there, landing. nothing there. Um, so I want to go back to the numbers really quick. Uh, again, the, the great and good Iowa caucus that cares so deeply about meeting these candidates one-on-one -on -one and judging them based on their moral and mental acumen. Um, the biggest victory ever, Bob Dole, 1988, 37% to Pat Robertson's 25%. That's not the highest ballot number, but that's the biggest a 12 win. Point a 12 margin. point the biggest win. ever. And, and he's from Kansas. Dole's from, from Kansas next, next door. door. Yeah. Next one, this one was the one that surprised me. Second biggest win was the 2000 caucus, which was famously the biggest blowout. I, you know, the whole part, this, yep. was, this was where the whole, you know, Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line kind of thing. It's George W. Bush. Uh, the, the opponents that he's running against are absurd. It's Steve Forbes, Alan Keyes, Gary Bauer. Uh, McCain doesn't really compete in Iowa. Uh, Bush in that, in that caucus only gets 41%, and Steve yeah. Forbes gets 31%. Bush only wins by 10. If that happens... 
in two Mondays where Nikki Haley or Oranda Sanctimonious cuts this to 41-31, I mean, that will be a nuclear bomb. Uh, like the George W. Yes. Bush blowout victory that everyone looks back on is like wasn't even close. Wasn't even like was the most boring Iowa caucus ever. If they get even, if they sniff that margin, people will be like, "Wow, the comeback kid!" <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I mean, is Trump is up by Trump thirty. Is. He's up by three th- x yeah. that. Yeah. Do you know what ads they knew about? I'm now. I am going to give it all away. But there was like so much great stuff here. We asked like, "What what ads are you seeing?" Well, they all know about DeSantis hitting Nikki on China, right? Like the ads they know about are the ones of DeSantis and Haley crapping on each other. Mm. Like they are dropping money on each other because it's about coming in second. Nobody's even trying to go after Trump. And as a result, right, they, what they knew was just negatives about the second place people. Can somebody clip that, that and send it to Baseball Dan? Because he was tweeting yesterday about how the people who are really responsible for Trump's win are the ones that were negative towards Ron DeSantis. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. You know, so uh, so he maybe somebody should let him know that the voters really actually are hearing about DeSantis's negativity towards Nikki Haley. So maybe it's Ron DeSantis's fault. I don't know. Something to consider. Sarah, what do they think about the economy? They think the economy's Dyer. bad. How bad? So... They're sweet in their way, but there was a number of times where they're not bigoted. (laughs) No, 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 no. But people, this is like these men kept being like, well, pardon my French. Uh, And I'm a Christian and I want to, you know, I don't want to say anything, but this, we're going to hell in a bucket. It's a lot of that. It's a lot of uh, hell in a bucket. Hell in a bucket. Um, Wow. They're uh, Christian. What do they think about retribution as a Christian virtue? Are they in favor of retribution? Do they think that that's a Christian virtue? People do say about Trump, they're like, you know, he's, he says things and he's, he can be mean to people and he's kind of a bully, but they come back all the time to this idea that he's a businessman. This was a real theme. He's a businessman. He gives his, he doesn't take a salary because he has so much money. He has so much power. He doesn't need to do this. This is, this is not a new thing, but this idea that Trump is the most patriotic person, that he cares about the country so much that he's giving up his golf and his his power and his yeah, money. Yeah, he didn't golf at all when he was president. He, no, he is doing this. As, He's robbing them. Hears, you guys, somebody said He's robbing Trump, them. Trump brought religion back into politics. Oh, my God. I can't uh, do this. We got to move on. Let's, no. move on. Let's move on to the people. You have to listen to the whole to. thing. Uh, but he's going to destroy in Iowa. All right. So do you guys have any appetite to talk about Nikki Haley? Because I have a third of the way talked myself into believing that actually Trump is going to take her as VP. Yeah, we're moving into the Tim is always right shirt territory in 2024. So let's just go ahead and bring this up (laughs) so I can swatch you down really fast. All right. So I want to hear the best case for this. So Trump has a... He is transactional. And on the one hand, like he learned his lesson from Mike Pence because Mike Pence screwed him. And if Carrie Lake had been his vice president in 2020, she would have refused to certify. And then, you know, who knows what happens? On the other hand, Trump does have that uh, bully's instinct for self-preservation. And in 2016, he knew he had to take Mike Pence. He didn't like the guy because he needed to seal the deal with evangelicals. He understands now that he's got to swerve on abortion because people don't like the abortion stuff, can't do the crazy thing. And he needs to win because he doesn't want to go to jail. Uh, And so if he looks around and becomes convinced that Nikki Haley helps him, even at the very margins, more than somebody else would, and she clearly wants it, I mean, that that woman is ready to do whatever it takes for that job. Uh, He knows he can't trust her. But I think maybe he thinks, and seeing Bannon then yesterday come out and be like, we're going to have a big fight on our hands because they're going to try to put Haley on the ticket. Well, I don't know. If Las Avitas and Susie Wiles are really do, everything we've seen suggests that they've got a very professionalized operation that's much more disciplined this time around. Seen. Some uh, things I mean, we've seen. More than this, more this time around than in 2016 or 2020. Yeah, sure. Uh, and if they've got the influence to to show Trump the numbers on this. I think maybe he does it. 
thoughts? I, no. This goes this counter to absurd. everything I've thought running up to This it. is absurd. Okay. Uh, talk I mean, me out of it. We talked about my trip to TPUSA, and obviously he's not going to yes. do everything these people want, but but you cannot choose somebody where there are people in the crowd shouting, she's demonic, she's demonic, lock her up, she's the devil. Like, I just, I just, I think it's too far. Like, the Mike Pence thing, people didn't have strong, like, he was not in the Trump brand, but people did not have strong preconceived feelings about him one way or the other right like the at the base voters mm-hmm. like trump yes he has demonstrated at times to be practical and savvy in a way that other politicians are and he's willing to zag because he doesn't actually care about stuff you know um in the way that other politicians do but he has never done anything that would threaten the support from his core people he always knows what his core, what his core people are looking for, and and so sometimes he zags on things that he doesn't, you know, they don't care about that much or whatever, right? Like things that aren't central, but this is too central. And as you said in your triad yesterday, this is all we're going to talk about for four months, and mm-hmm. and Newsmax and Bannon's podcast and all these places are going to churn and churn and churn, and Trump's going to hear from the crazy people that he has in his circle now at Mar-a-Lago. You can't pick her; she's the devil. She'll she'll betray you. It's just it's just too much time to build, you know, for you know against that. And I think that Sarah on last week's pod offered alternative. Like there are alternatives. You can get most of a Nikki by picking Katie Britt or somebody that people don't have these built-in hatreds towards. I mean, these people hated hate Nikki more than they hate like Joe Biden. Like they fucking hate Nikki. But won't they turn on a dime if they're told to? This is the other thing, right? They hate Nikki Haley now, but uh, I don't know. Look, the best thing she's done to help herself is the slavery thing. I'm not even kidding. Like, the, the slavery thing is exactly the, you know, everyone's like, oh, I can't believe Nikki Haley did that. And I was like, oh, that's how she's trying to endear herself to Trump and the MAGA people. <laughs> no. And why could that It was not intentional. It was a clear gaffe. But, uh, but sure. Sure, maybe but like, accident. she didn't run away from it either, right? Yeah. I mean, she, you know, she doubled down and... She, uh, I, I just think that those people can turn on this much more easily. This is a, a fight they look like they want to have right now, but they're not going to die on this hill. Sarah, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? Am I crazy? Look, I don't think you're the craziest because I do think that Trump likes, he likes to zag hard sometimes, right? And he likes to shock people and he likes to make people come around to his direction. And I think that JVL is a little bit right in the sense that I could see a bunch of these voters that I was just listening to and that I listen to all the time. When he picks Haley, they'll be like, genius move. I don't like her, but you got to win women and you got to win these swing voters. And like they will, there are a lot of people who will give him credit. I also agree with myself that there's a bunch of people you can get that from without going full Haley, where there is going to be a ton of resistance from the people that he knows he needs, who are his engine, like daring them to stay home because he needs them to win too. He needs them to there's win There's nothing that's going to make those people stay home. The conspiracy world, I think you're underestimating also. You're talking about Bannon as like the far edge, but let's go even farther out there into Tim Pool world, into QAnon podcast world, right? Like these people, if he picks Haley, there are going to be people out there that, that are like, they, Trump has switched. The deep yeah. state has got oh, him. The deep state is going to murder him. Those won't even believe she's really Nikki Haley. The They'll deep think state. She's, she's JFK Jr. in a Mission Impossible style Nikki Haley mask. Because I'm already and hearing this at TPUSA. They're worried about this. The VP is important because the deep state is going to kill Trump. Yeah. I, I hear about this a lot. Like, And yeah. they're like, the deep state's going to kill him. And then, and then whoever he picks is going to have to be his his successor. And so, if it's Haley, they are going to think that the globalists have gotten to him. I'm just saying. hey, JBL. Here's my no. main here's my main reason that I think you're not right though. Trump does need to win. He also needs to stay in office forever. Mm-hmm. Trump needs somebody pliable in the vice presidential role. Agreed. Like if Nikki Haley has proven one thing, and this is where I think. What Trump is doing right now is akin to what he did to Mitt Romney. Uh, He will dangle things. He will embarrass her. He will make her pledge fealty. He may even give her a role somewhere. Uh, I just don't think VP is it. Well, that's the big problem, right? Because he can't fire the VP, right? The VP is an elected constitutional officer. Yeah. Right. He can get a Christy Nome or a Katie Britt. And like Katie Britt's a, a normie. And so she'll make normies feel safe, but like she's young and she doesn't have a huge constituency of her own and he can sort of control things. I mean, you know, Mike Pence 
for all his obsequiousness, still, because remember, he picked up the phone. He had lots of people that he could talk to. He was deeply entrenched in the responsible, the remaining responsible world of the Republican right. Party who told him, you cannot do this. And nobody really had his back, ultimately, except for like the January 6th committee. Like, he knew he couldn't do it. We're going to be in a really different environment next time around. So, uh, Tim, I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, Donald Trump really killing it in the endorsements. <laughs> now, it's important to notice here that uh, it is not really required for anybody to endorse him yet. Like, we haven't gotten to the first to the first voting. Uh, there is anybody who who really, really didn't want to endorse Donald Trump could wait. They, they, they don't have to wait until like June, but they could wait another three or four weeks, maybe. Uh, but they're rolling in, even in the Senate, very responsible Republican senators. You have any thoughts on this? Doing nothing is an option. Doing nothing is always an option. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it wouldn't be my goal. It wouldn't be what I would call for. But, you know, you don't have to jump on the Trump train right now, especially if you are not worried about any primaries or facing anything. I mean, Steve Scalise, the leadership in the House, Steve Scalise and Tom Emmer, I'm going to get to Tom Emmer, both endorsed Trump this week. And it's like, why? why? What is the concern? I, you know, some people are like, well, you have to do it because otherwise the MAGAs are going to come for you. Like Somebody's going to get to KKK Steve Scalise's right here in Louisiana and primary him <laughs> and like, you know, call him a cuck. Like, that's not going to happen. Like that, that's not a concern. He doesn't have to be worried about that. This man, this man was shot on a baseball field and he survived it. He has cancer. And he's scared of Donald Trump. I know. I, I know. I, they, he wants Donald Trump. They want him. They've decided they wanted him. This whole conceit that there are people in the House and the Senate that don't want Donald Trump. There's no evidence of this. There's nothing. There's one House member that endorsed Nikki Haley. He's an insurrectionist. Okay. He's just, I think they're just old pals. Okay. But he was there on January 6th, Ralph Norman. There's nobody. I, Mike Lawler, Mike Gallagher, none of these guys, all the names that you would think of. Not, nobody is out there even trying to defeat Donald Trump. And, and here we have Tom Emmer. This one happened this morning. We got to talk about Tom Emmer. Do you remember Tom? Do you remember his moment in the sun? He was uh, the soon to be speaker designate for. 17 minutes? Yeah, after McCarthy got yeah. scalped and Steve Scalise right. loses, Tom Emmer, the, the normies, so supposed normies, put up Tom Emmer. And um, here's the Politico headline from October 24th, so not even two and a half months ago. I killed him. How Trump torpedoed Tom Emmer's speaker bit. Mm. It was 10 <laughs> weeks ago. That was 10 mm. weeks ago. Okay, here's here's what Tom Emmer did. I didn't even, I didn't even remember this. Um, I'm going to scroll down here. Let's find it. So, okay, here it is. Trump shared a post on Truth Social from far-right activist Laura Loomer bashing Emmer as a all-caps communist enabler. Mm. President Trump doesn't support Tom Emmer and neither should you. So Trump thinks Emmer is a communist. Okay, all Emmer has ever wanted was the speaker's gavel. You know, this whole career, you know, he's like, I've been trying to rise up the ranks. His moment, it fell into his lap. And Trump kills it, prevents him from becoming speaker. Ten weeks later, he's putting out a statement that's like, I want Donald Trump for president. There's still other people in the race. There's still other people in the race. I mean, I mean, Sarah doesn't think, I mean, but Bill Crystal was on the YouTube last night being like, you know, who knows? That things happen, right? Like you could still go out there and campaign for Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley. Uh, you or, could do or nothing. Do nothing. You could do that. I will say, I Bill walked in this morning and I was like, I need you to watch a focus group. Like, I just, I need you to like get your head. <laughs> I need you to listen to some voters so you can get. Because last night, this, well, and here's the thing. I even look. I said on TV yesterday that if there's a five percent chance, which I think about what it is, then Nikki Haley can win. Like it's it's okay. Like, I do think you should try to do something to advance that, but I also think you have to be clear-eyed about what we're facing here. Right, yes, like but it's, it's okay to dream and to and to work hard and to do something. But the fact that not just how many endorsements Trump has, but how many endorsements everybody else doesn't have. Yeah, nobody's endorsing anybody else. No, and the political strategy here, I take the, all that. But if we just take out the morality of this and the, and mm -hmm. just how sick it is, like that that here we are eight years after January, you know, twenty sixteen, and Trump's strength within the party is a thousand x more even after the Muslim ban, after January 6th. Like, take out the moral. As a political strategy, like, what does Tom Emmer want? He's from Minnesota. 
He's not going to be the governor. It's not like he's going to need Trump's support in a primary in a statewide race. It's not like Trump is going to appoint a communist enabler to be the secretary of state. Like House Majority Whip is the end of the road for Tom Emmer, right? He's not angling for anything else. So when when the consultants are like, well, you got to do this, you got to stay on the good side of the base. No, you don't. Like Trump has a limited bandwidth for these truth social tweets. If Tom Emmer just did nothing, like say what you want about Chip Roy. I fucking hate Chip Roy. And like he sent out a statement yesterday that was like, that basically implied that he's for seceding from the union. So, but, but he is out there campaigning for Ron DeSantis. So credit where due, he's endorsed Ron DeSantis and he's actually campaigning. He's not, he didn't just put his name on paper. He's gone on TV, he's being a surrogate and, and Trump is coming after him. So, and, and Chip Roy might someday want to run for Senate in, in Texas. So like, there's something to be said for that. That's not the t- situation. Like you could just do nothing did it endorse Nikki and then not say anything? I, I, and Trump is like a fly. Like he, he gets mad at whoever was the last person in his face saying something that wasn't about how he's the God King, right? Like I, there is no, there was, there's no political risk to doing nothing or to just kind of endorsing Nikki Haley. There's none. And he's doing can I it tell you, anyway. Can I answer he's, this? Because he's a fucking gimp. Is that the answer? Because he's the gimp? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but here's, I had forgotten too about man, these news cycles, they last uh, the life of a fruit fly. But I had forgotten about the tweet. And I bet, so I don't know if you saw this story, but the main secretary of state who wrote the brief recently about why she was going to remove Trump from the ballot, she got swatted mm-hmm. recently. You know what that is? Yes. Uh, where they they fake call in the SWAT team yeah. to your house in the hopes MTG that they actually got shoot swatted you. recently too, I think. Yeah. Uh, my guess is, is that ever since Trump went after Emmer, that there are some people in Emmer's home state that have decided he is a cuck who needs to be taken care of. I bet he has been getting death threats for the last two months. I bet he has been getting turned on and booed at local GOP meetings. I bet his life has been bad, and I bet endorsing Trump is meant to get a lot of people off his back. That's why I think he did it. I appreciate that. Okay. I would like to know. But I think that Tom Emmer had a really nice fucking Christmas in his big house in the suburbs. It was probably a white Christmas in Minnesota, and he had his family all around him, and and he's the majority well, I see whip. What you did there? <laughs> he's the majority whip, and I think that, and I think that his life is wonderful and brilliant and good, and he is just a fucking pussy coward. That's what I, that's my opinion. So I don't know. We'll see. Tom can let us know if it's really he's being swatted or he's really worried I'm about his safety. I'm not even saying it's a justification. I'm yeah, just no, saying. I, I think. I think. I think. You and I don't agree on this, actually. I just I think menace is an underappreciated sort of like something in the ether that is hanging over the decision making of a lot of these Republicans. I'm not saying it justifies their behavior, but I do think it explains more than people think. I think sometimes we sit around being like, what could it possibly be? And I actually think Republicans who step out of line get it much worse than Democrats from like Trump's people. I think he's just wearing a gimp mask, and he has no no backbone. That's I'm just not sure me. they're mutually exclusive, actually. Maybe not. The, what is interesting to me is that this whole dynamic has flipped on its head from the way it used to be, right? So George H.W. Bush is president, and he wants to pass Bill XYZ, and he knows that he's got to get all of the Republican House members on board with him. And so he's got to make sure that he's made nice with them and he hasn't alienated any of those guys. And so that's like a thing that they wind up working on. And it's like the power goes that like, well, these House members have some power. And, you know, like I have carrots I can offer them. Um, I don't really have that much of a stick because I want to do things. And Trump gets to have the dynamic flipped because he doesn't want to do anything except hold power, right? And this is the... Once you take away the idea of there being a legislative agenda and you just want to be the strong man who holds power and then can like do stuff to hurt people, people like down the line from you in your party in the legislature, they are completely beholden to you. They have no leverage over the chief executive whatsoever. That's why this is the party that didn't have a platform last time around, except uh, we want to do what the God King wants us to do. It's really pernicious. This is what authoritarianism looks like. Yeah, it's really pernicious, and I and I find it just absolutely repulsive. I'm never anyone that has endorsed Donald Trump in this primary. 
Yeah. I've expanded my never Trump. I'm never anyone that has that has endorsed him. It's just absolutely despicable. And uh, it's funny. We have Josh Green on the Sunday show this weekend. I was just reading his book. And uh, the Jimmy Carter dynamic versus Trump is kind of hilarious compared to what you just said. Like Jimmy's like getting yeah. totally run through the ringer by the conservative you know, Democrats in Congress and, uh, you know, and has no ability to wield any power over them. And like, they're forcing things down his throat and, you know, poor Jimmy Carter. The other difference is that, again, other presidents wanted to accomplish things. Yeah, he had actually. And Trump only wants to dominate his party. And avoid jail. I mean, he would like, for Donald Trump, his hierarchy of needs, right, it, it begins with have to dominate the Republican Party. And after that, it would be very nice if he could become president again as well and he had that power to his to his chip stack. But the truth is, even that is a nice to have, not a must have. Like he wants to own the Republican Party like a mob boss owns an organization. And uh, this is what you get out of that. All right, we got to talk about that school in Cambridge. <sighs> Harvard President Claudine Gay has resigned. And about them this apples. is of immense importance to the entire republic. And so we have to talk about it. Here's the thing. Both sides are right. I'm going to both sides it for you guys. Are you ready? Yeah, please. Uh, the anti-DEI Chris Rufos of the world are right that it is bad for a university president to do plagiarism. It is worse for a university of president to be really bad on the anti-Semitism happening on their own campus. The people on the left who are sort of anti-anti Claudine Gay um, are correct that the prime motivation of the people who have been on a crusade to get her have absolutely nothing to do with academic integrity or any of that shit. They just want to get her because she's a black woman in power. I'm sorry, but that's that's why this is. And uh, the real answer is that this is this is Harvard, and the job of the university president is just to raise an assload of money all day, every day, day after day. And anything that happens that impedes your ability to raise tons of money for your institution is a professional liability. And so she was going to have to go. And I'm sorry, Harvard is part of the problem in America. And why we feel like we have to pick sides on this when, like, Claudine Gay was part of the problem because Harvard is part of the problem. Bad. Bad. All bad. I have a quiz for you, JVL. Are you ready? Uh, Nathan Pusey, mm -hmm. Neil Rudenstein. Lawrence Bacow, which one of those people has been Harvard president prior to Claudine Gay? Uh, Bacow was, wasn't he? And, yeah, he was. All of them uh, were. All yeah. of them. And Ruben, I know the Rubenstein Pussy, was Derek as well. Boak. Do you remember Derek yeah, Bach? Derek Bach. No, absolutely. You this do is know actually, Derek? It's funny you say that. Yeah, I used to read a lot of his, his writings. Um, Derek Bach was probably the you last. You are ruining Tim's bit right now by knowing no, it who is, these it's people funny. are. <laughs> Derek Bach was probably the last president of Harvard who was a genuine intellectual, is what I'm saying. And, oh, really? That's a, that's rude to Andrew so. Preston Peabody so and Cornelius Conway Felton. These fucking stupid, like, who the fuck cares? <laughs> who cares who's the president of Harvard? Like, I literally, the only reason I'd ever known a Harvard president before this was because Larry Summers was so rude to the Winklevi in the social network. Okay? Like, that was it. Grumpy Larry Summers was in there. And, and otherwise, it's like, who cares who's the president of Harvard? I, okay, I'm with you on the way they handled the anti-Semitism thing was terrible and plagiarism is bad. But, like, isn't this a Harvard Crimson article? Like, why is this on the top of the New York Times every day? Why does every Republican senator and congressperson have to have an have to have an opinion about this? Like, they are self-correcting, just like Stanford self-corrected. Remember, Stanford yeah. had the president that also, you know, committed uh, some fr fraudulent behavior on the papers that he had written, and it was it was you know uh, Peter Baker and Susan Glasser's kid that like <laughs> called him out on it, uh, like. And and wrote about it for the Stanford newspaper, like and the, the Penn Penn president yeah. stepped down after the after the yeah. hearing. Just like in the Republican Party, the people who did a coup all realized that what they had done was very very shameful, and they were going to remove themselves from politics and public life because they did that and, happen? and the ones who didn't. The Republican Party, the antibodies within the party, swarmed together and and took care of business. 
Did that happen? No, it didn't happen. Oh. This is self-correcting. Oh. Like, like, yeah. like these are these are examples of people self-correcting. Had Harvard had the pro-Hamas thing on Cambridge Square, whatever the fuck they call it, I don't, I, I don't care. Like, had they had a pro-Hamas rally and had the president of Harvard gone out there and put up a power fist and said, hell yeah, and had they stormed one of the campus buildings and stabbed a Jewish professor and killed them, and, you know, and then the Harvard professor had come back out and said, I'm proud of the great and good patriots out there on the mall of Harvard Square, and then had the Harvard president stayed president and regained power and actually kicked out the people within Harvard. <laughs> That that tried to push back on her, the professors. Then I would be like, you know, I'd come on the next level podcast and be like, I'm really concerned about what's happening at Harvard. Okay, like I think that we probably need to do something here. But that is not what is happening. All right, that is not what happened. So sure, like would she have been kicked out? Had had some conservative journalists like looked into plagiarism history? Maybe not. Maybe are there other school presidents that committed plagiarism that we haven't heard about? that are white men probably like do i care no is is college so hostile to th open thought now that conservatives are not welcome there i don't know here's what i do know bill johnson congressman from ohio just left congress today and where's he going he's gonna be the president of youngstown state where's ben sass right now he's the president of florida like it seems to me like the free market is fucking working in colleges. And, you know, Frank Luntz is out there tweeting, like, people aren't going to go to Harvard now. Great. Don't go to Harvard. <laughs> go to Florida. Ben Sass is the president of Florida. If you, I, I'm sure you can get a great education if you're a, if you're yeah, the type no of kid that to wants Harvard to learn now. class, that wants to go to class. There are great professors at Florida. Like, go to another school. I don't care. Like, go to Claremont. There are a million fucking colleges in this country. Why is this a big deal? Sarah, tell me, why is this a big deal? I think you guys are kind of misdiagnosing this whole thing. Great. Can okay. I? So Please. I'm going to, let's back up and start with, this isn't about Claudine Gay precisely. It started as something much bigger, which is that there is a story around Israel and Hamas and the conflict on college campuses that became a central news story, right? And so mm -hmm. this is an outgrowth of that central news story. It's not that people are just decided to focus on Harvard, right? There was a bunch of other things leading up to it, including a whole bunch of incidents on college campuses, which wraps into, and this is an explanation more than just pushback, but wraps into what is a long-held concern among conservatives about the state of higher education and what's happening there, and that extends not just to conservatives and sort of ideologues, but also to more normies who are concerned about what their kids learn on college campuses, the activist professors, et cetera. So this is an extension or a microcosm, whatever you want to call it, of a much bigger battle, okay? And Claudine Gay is a, is a casualty in that battle in part of her own doing. Like, I don't think that we should ever, and this is, I just think, just because many of the people who are attacking her relentlessly are doing so because they got something in their sights, Right. And I don't think it's just because she's a black woman in power. I think it, it, it wraps into all of it. I think that's not nothing. I don't think that's not a part of it. But I think it includes the idea of getting scalps from these universities. It's about going after elites. It's about what they think these institutions are doing to our culture and our kids. It's a much bigger thing than that. Right. And so they want the scalps of these people. And that's why the plagiarism thing became a story. Now, the fact is, though, it would never have become a story if the Israel thing hadn't happened and there wasn't this sort of bigger conversation. But once it did and once it was uncovered, you do have to say, well, that's wrong, right? That's yeah, wrong and it I matters it. from a credibility standpoint, both for the institution, but also for us as a society having standards because standards matter. Intellectual rigor matters, All of, right? Right is still right, wrong is still wrong. It doesn't matter if the people accusing her are of bad faith. So it is fine, I think, for them to pursue accountability against her. Uh, oh, you mean you're, you're okay with this cancellation? This cancel culture of her. <laughs> Sorry. I think that when people violate the standards, I'm, this, I'm yes. not done. I let you finish. When people Keep going. when people Keep going. violate the standards of their institutions and they get held accountable, that's fine. Even if the people who are who are pursuing the accountability are are pieces of crap like Chris Rufo. Now, here's where the thing falls apart for me, which is if we care about standards and presidents of institutions matter because they set standards for us culturally. Ding ding ding. Any person who has pursued Claudine Gay relentlessly 
but who supports Donald Trump should not be taken seriously. If you can find a way to justify anything about Donald Trump, and that includes sort of the Frank Luntz route of it, like uh, he's not a pro-Trump guy, he's, eh, go to the White House, help him out, you know, maybe do some messaging for the Republicans, be on McCarthy's side, whatever. You want to participate in that institution and then claim some moral high ground, because this is this is what it's about. There is a much deeper thing where Republicans want to be on a moral playing field where they can have some high ground because they haven't been on any moral high ground for a really long time. And they think they got the moral high ground and they do to some degree because even the antipathy that you guys feel towards these institutions is a pretty mainstream antipathy that people feel. So they can work off of a lot of pre-existing stuff that makes people say, Chris Rufo was right. Look at the good work the Free Beacon did taking this thing down. But unless those people also pursue the president of the United States who's done a coup, who's had no moral standards whatsoever. I mean, plagiarism. I mean, see, plagiarism <laughs> is still wrong, right? It's still a bad thing. And we should not say that it is not wrong, we, but we should acknowledge that also cheating on all your wives, um, grabbing people, sexual assaults, lying on your taxes, uh, doing a coup, um, all, all those things, those are, are, are wrong. And also in the hierarchy of wrongness, both in its cumulative nature, as well as its hierarchical nature, are worse. And so you should never take a person seriously who pursues Claudine Gay, who is not also pursuing Trump. And there's like a handful of people who are willing to do both. Those are the only people worth listening to. Sebastian, clip that for the YouTube shorts because that was an outstanding rant. It's Love good. It. I agree with everything. I agree with this whole, the whole second part of that. But I, I just, I need to go back to the first part, which is I just, I don't think that they're actually trying to reform these higher education institutions in good faith. No, no, no. They're I trying really to burn don't. them down. I don't think that no, they are. they're trying are. to burn them down. Yeah, they're yeah. trying to tear them down. I don't, sure. and it's like, oh, for what? And it's not, they want these scalps and it's like, for what? Right? It's like to win this narrative battle that you were talking about, the second yeah. part of your answer, right? Like it's not for, it's not as if they have other thoughts for how Harvard should conduct itself. It's not like they're trying to put forth Bill Crystal which who I am for Harvard president. I think they should put him. It's not that they're trying to put forth Harvey Mansfield or somebody that has a more of a conservative ethos. It's like, who do they think is going to replace Claudine Gay? Some other fucking woke lib, right? Because these guys, all they do is demonize higher education. All they do is demonize elite university. You know, there was a little period in the, in the early 2010s where, you know, there were all these like conservative intellectuals who were talking about institutional reform. Who's the one guy that everybody was talking about in that in that JVL? Everybody that was uh, he was that oh gosh, it's driving me crazy. It'll, it'll come to me. Yuval Levin. Yuval, thank you. Everybody's in Yuval. We need institutional reform. We need to get inside these institutions and do a better job and demonstrate and, and provide an alternate you know path to the DEI, ESG, whatever. Like none of them are doing that. They actively dislike and hate the people that they see as their you know, culture war opposition in these elite institutions. They don't have any interest in trying to reform them or make them better, or they don't care about students or trying to like have their experience be bad, right? I, I mean, see what you want about Ben Sass. I've said plenty terrible. At least he said, okay, I'm going to check out and go to Florida and I'm going to try to make this one institution better. So I would say, I would say, okay, then, then do that. Then, then try to reform these institutions. That's not what this is. Like it's culture war garbage that they're trying to tear people down on the other side as part of some big never ending never ending online battle like that's that's all this really is and to that I'm kind of like I'm sorry I can't care about that I just can't and I think that like the students at Harvard you know the again I go back to the market like Harvard got more applications last year I went and looked this up than ever in history double from 2014 8 years ago so you're telling me like these institutions are so corrupted and so awful and, and they're not learning anything. There's no value anymore. And it's DEI, racist, and, you know, reverse racism nonsense. Then why did 60,000 some odd people apply when there are thousands of colleges in the country? Are things at Harvard really that bad? Are they that bad that we got to tear everything down and insult everybody? Or could they be a little better? Could we try to just put people into the institutions that we think would be a little more judicious? Like, because I'd be on board for that. But I, that's not what any of these people are doing. They're arsonists. I, I do want to ask one thing, though. Which do you guys think is the worst sin? The plagiarism or the failure to handle campus anti-Semitism? Because for me, I actually think, and, and I would have been perfectly fine if Claudine Gay had resigned like the day after the hearing with Elise Stefanik, the, the way the 
Penn president did. Because that, I mean, I mean only as a moral case, which is wrong yeah. in terms of like, which is wrong for the job and professionally, we could talk about different, but I think that's much worse. And the plagiarism, like it, it, it does bother me a little bit. It is a little bit like Al Capone for tax fraud. Yeah, that <laughs> I, you, you know, can't be the president of Harsher, gets... Harvard and plagiarize. I don't, I, it's, you can't be the president no, of Harvard. Like, how do you kick fair. out other kids for plagiarism if you've plagiarized? Fair. So like, I get that. I get that. I just, is it a front page New York Times story every day? Do we need, did we need Congress to get involved? Well, it is because we have one major political party that wants to talk about this and nothing else. Right. It's like, uh, why, why do we have so many stories about the, the UPenn trans swimmer? Right. Why was that in the New York Times all the time? It was because we have it. one political, one of our two major political parties has decided to make that a story. And when one political party decides to make something a story, they can do it. Yeah. And this is where my greatest frustration with Democrats lie. This is how Republicans, they are able to create their own echo chambers to make these narratives stick in a way that like, I don't know, Democrats either have neither the the fortitude nor the interest nor the communications discipline to be like, let's all talk about how the economy is improving and we all just hit. So instead, it, it is where everybody's like squirrel and, and, and everybody feels the need to opine on this. But I also, I, part of my pushback is this idea that it's like just a thing happening at Harvard. I don't. I do think it's part of a bigger cultural story. Um, but I also think that there's tremendous discipline on the right around making these narratives the equivalent of presidential narratives to the point where people are like, well, I have to vote for a Trump because Claudine Gay plagiarized some stuff. Like, you know, like, and it's 100%. like, that is, the, 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 there is, there is so much, this is the endemic of the corruption on the left and this is why I have to support Trump. And then just like, okay, admit then that none of this is about standards or maintaining standards for you. Yeah, sure, it is a cultural thing that's happening everywhere. But again, like Republicans aren't trying to fix it, you know? Like nobody gets mad at Democrats. Nobody's like Democrats are like, oh, the evangelical church is not more liberal, right? It's because like no Democrats are trying to fix it, right? Like, like if all you do is insult people, like Republicans don't care about higher education. Like this is all, it's all bullshit. All they do is they make, they don't try to appeal to people that are in, in higher education. All they do is fucking insult and mock and deride people in, yeah, but this in is, these but this, institutions. This has been true, right? So it's Republicans- been true since the 1960s. But hold on. God yeah, but, and man at Yale. This is like actually a deep and ingrained part of what it means to be a conservative, which is that you feel that the institutions are against you, right? Like the grievance against mainstream and elite institutions keeping you out is the reason that in the last 25 years, we've seen a bunch of new institutions built on the right by people who feel aggrieved, right? So that's why that's why you have these new universities popping up that are meant to cater specifically to conservatives because they are trying to push back against the dominant mainstream culture. Fox News was an answer to the idea that conservatives felt shut out of this sort of mainstream institution of elite media. That's why we, now we have these bifurcated- but it's all uh, fake. It's fake grievance. Who's actually been cut out of elite universities? Not conservative white people. That's not who's been I, fucking cut out of elite universities. Maybe they haven't felt, I don't know. I got to, went to an elite university. Do you mean in terms university. of attendance or in terms of, in terms of professors? Like I actually think, I mean- Attendance, I just, in terms of attendance. Okay, in terms of attendance, but in terms of who the professors are, in terms of the ideas that yeah. dominate these yeah, institutions, because no elite Republicans want to go be professors. They didn't decide they could all go do this. Look, the University of Chicago has conservative professors. George Mason has conservative professors. Florida, you have plenty of options if you want to go somewhere. It's, is it that bad to go somewhere where you have a liberal professor and you argue with them? All my professors argued with me about free market stuff at GW. Yeah, that's I didn't feel that's fine. I was in a grown no, ass same. fucking. I, and kid. I feel that way about Kenyon too. But I just the idea that we would just I don't I don't know that you can just. Glow gloss over the idea that like 90% of faculty at these institutions now are very liberal yeah. and progressive. Obviously. And, Donald and, Trump and was the Republican nominee a lot for more, president. And that there is a lot more ideology as opposed to sort of the deep excavation of ideas. Like that shift on college campuses, I think is a, a bugaboo of conservatives for a real and useful reason. I can't believe either okay. of you would ever have a conversation. Nice. I'm sorry, JV, you have questions. No, I'm just saying I, I I never once spoke to any of my college professors uh, in any capacity, either inside or outside the classroom. And the idea that you could have a discussion or a conversation with them is astonishing to me. <laughs> I have a question, though. J.D. Vance, Josh, uh, what's his face from um, uh, Josh Hawley? 
when their children reach college age, are they going to go to Hillsdale and Liberty, do you think? Or do you think their their kids are going to pack off to maybe to a school in Cambridge or a school in New Haven? How did Josh Hawley manage to get out of Yale and Stanford and just I, turn out like this? It's just unbelievable. I do look at this I thought, and I think that, to I thought myself, that the professors boy, if only are so the Ivy strong. League could be a little bit more exclusionary, they could have prevented some of the worst people in American politics from taking over position of power. If you know, like, this is it's like with Twitter in the old days, like oh, Twitter is shadow banning and banning. No, Twitter wasn't banning enough people. And <laughs> we should have done something to keep uh, Ted Cruz and Donald Trump and Josh Hawley and J.D. Vance and all the rest of these like fascist, crazy, horrible, dangerous people out of elite circles. I'm sorry, but this is this is sort of the answer to something Tim was saying, which is like, if they're so bad, why are they getting double the amount of applications or whatever? And it's like because of sort of a different gross thing, which is just the clout chasing uh, in yeah. our society now where it is much less about well, I want to go to the most intellectually rigorous place that's going to prepare me to do this intellectually serious thing that I really need to do. I think that's still there in a lot of ways, but there's also, I think, tremendous cloud chasing now where it's like very important, you know, to say that you went to Harvard versus do it well, because there's lots of other places you could go to get a really good education that aren't Harvard, even a top notch, perfect one like Kenyon College. Sure. Go to Kenyon. Again, but I agree with that. But that's what I, but my point is like, my point is not that there are not anything that couldn't be better at any of these institutions. I just, I get so sick of the grievance that it's like, things are so bad. Harvard is so terrible. They're turning our kids into communists and it's a reverse racist hellscape. And oh my God, it's got record p people that want to go there. It's like, real, are we sure it's that bad? Like, are things really that bad? Are the kid are, you know, are our institutions so fucking corrupted? I just hate this populist bullshit about how our institutions are so corrupt. They're more corrupted now than they were in 1950. I'd like to go back. I'd like to go back and start doing some plagiarism uh, <laughs> tests on people that were writing papers running these universities before the Internet showed up where you could check it easily. Because I got to tell you, if I go back to my president of Harvard list, I bet I could find some plagiarism from James B. Conant. 1933 to 1953. I, I just, I, I just, I, I think that it's all a little bit over. You keep James B. Conan's name out of your voice. <laughs> all right, guys, good show. It's been a great Incredibly show. long show. We spent way more time on Harvard than we probably should have. Uh, if you're going to be in uh, San Francisco, come and hang out with us in San Francisco on what's the day? January 18th. 18th? It's a Thursday. It's a, Thursday. it's a Thursday. Thursday night. It'll be a good time at the Commonwealth Club's very nice place. We'll uh, be on the heels of the Nikki Haley surge in Iowa. Afterwards, Tim's going to take us all out to a gay bar. <laughs> It'll, it's going to be amazing. Amazing. Guys, we'll see you next week. Bye.